Salutations and hello to all the world. I mean it though, God bless us everyone. Sometimes when life doesn't just give you lemons, but life slices them into wedges, making sure to remove every pesky seed, even going so far as pulling out all the stringy, tough, pulpy bits, making sure that only the most flawless of them gather in the ceramic old lady dish set neatly in the center of his breakfast nook's table. Then, life will invite you inside on a hot summer's day with promises of some refreshing, sweet southern iced tea. Brewed to perfection, then chilled at precisely the right moment to really bring the flavor bouquet out of all those tea leaves. Then the moment you cross into the threshold of the quaint farmer's cottage that life had inherited from his paw with the promise of making the lima bean profitable once more, heh, <laughs> good luck, life produces a baseball bat from behind his back, and with a swift, flawlessly formed swing, breaks both your shins. Laughing the whole time, as if he had just been watching the latest Adam Sandler rom-com. Then he calls all his rowdy friends in from the other room. You're pretty sure one's got a gimp mask on that's painted to look like Snagglepuss, but you can't be sure because by this point the cacophony of joviality stems from the fact that those lovingly prepared lemons have been brutishly squeezed with every drop of acidic juice so on target it just pools over your eyes. But I'll tell you a little something. You can't let a little uh, redneck lemon parade ruin your life. A great man once told me in song... Nothing's ever going to break in my stride. Nobody's going to hold me down. Oh no, I got to keep on moving. And I like to think he was singing about the exact situation that I just spoke of. And then, prior to Hi, Chris. Hi. Yeah, yeah, you you tripped me up, and I'm like, I had a whole really cool thing at the beginning. I was counting. I, you know what is weird is on the, the really uh, crappy uh, Egyptian episode, when I was reading that guy's story, I swear to God, I thought you said something to me, and that's why I stopped and was like, what? <laughs> And I'm wearing head. I'm wearing headphones. I'm wearing headphones, so it's not like I heard something outside of them because I really can't. Um, you know. Uh, but uh, c'est la vie, as the Portuguese hate the French for saying. Welcome to another really fun swindling old ladies episode of. See no, hear no, speak no. Yeah, that was a strange intro to the UFOs, the conspiracies. I'm not sure yet where the old ladies fit in or why they're dwindling. Uh, but perhaps there's some Midas. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Oh, where the fuck is James? Good <laughs> job, James. Why hey, James. is it that we can't get a co-host with fucking timing? Dude, like, what? 
<laughs> he pulled a rab on us. Or a fucking... What, what, no. What was... Ah, oh, damn. Why can I never remember... James T. Abbott. <laughs> That's... I'm sorry. Did I, did I mess something up there T. for Abbott. you? Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. can't I... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jonathan. I, I, I really enjoyed your company. It's not that I didn't like it. Oh, and just so everybody out but, there knows... Uh, um, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, pulling a rob is actually forcing people into a dick measuring contest. <laughs> and Or threatening Jesse the Body Venture. And the loser has to braid Rob's back here. Mm. Wow. I'll take that over his pits any day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I miss you, Rob. I'm pouring some out on the ground for you. It's, uh... Whoa. <laughs> One for the homie. It's, in- it's infamil. Because that's just the closest liquid I have, <clears throat> and I have an infant who yeah. um, drinks things from mills. So, on tonight's super special, extra special, awesome to the max episode of the show that we just all fucking introduced, uh, I, I'm Jason Rambo, Chris Barrios uh, slash, you know, Magistus the Tris slash, hi Chris right. and. Also, backslash. See, it's a title. It's not just a name. That's the thing. I know. That, that's what you haven't yet grown to understand. No, I've grown. And to really embrace. I've grown to understand it, and I embraced it. And then it. I do my best to shun it whenever possible. Embrace it with your cheeks and then clench like you're, like you're popping a fucking prairie dog, and you're in the middle of the mall surrounded by hot girls. Um... I mean, I'll just blame them all on uh, James Conan, who uh-huh. is also here with us tonight. <laughs> Hi, I'm James. James. Hi, James. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, because we don't get we don't get enough shit for that. My name is uh, James. Stuff already. So bring it on. That's a great intro for him. It reminds me of uh, of uh, of, uh, of uh, the Team America World Police and the whole fucking Matt Damon. Yes. Okay. I'm James. Hi, I'm James Conan. James Conan. Um, <laughs> so, fellas, James Conan. I got, I got a little bit of a, I got a little bit of a story that I'd like to regale uh, you motherfuckers with this evening. And oh, yeah? supposedly a lot of bit of a story. This story huh. begins in 1869 in. Central in Central Paris. That's right, motherfuckers. We are in France <laughs> for the foreseeable futures. It's a good thing none of us are Portuguese. Indeed. So, Henri Desiree yeah, Landru was born in Central Paris. He was the son of a furnace stoker and a laundress who were both ardent Catholics. Like, they just couldn't get enough of this stuff. It's kind of gross, actually. Ew. He was Ew. he was educated um, in Catholic school by the monks uh, that were uh, the educators at a Catholic school on... Uh-huh. I love, I love uh, you know, French titles because this says, on the Ile Saint-Louis. Like, not at the Ile Saint-Louis, Louis, but on. <clears throat> like, it's a fucking river. 
Um, it might be a river. Uh, I don't know. I don't know my French uh, <laughs> geometry. Uh, serving. Maybe it's a steamboat. It, oh, what if it was a steamboat? The magical mystery tour that that would be. It would. It would actually probably suck. What if James Conan was a steamboat? Um, he it, it he would be uh, learning disabled. <laughs> He'd be so last season. So last season. Uh, so he, uh, oddly enough, being a Catholic school uh, young man, was an altar boy. I haven't seen claims of diddles, so let's just leave the diddles at the door. Um, there were. I mean. <laughs> There were probably There's diddles. always probably diddles. <laughs> it's bad that I find that so funny. Um, he was an altar boy at the uh, the church that was across the street, uh, uh, where his his parents and his older sister went to church. Uh, by his late teens, he had graduated to uh, the sub deacon, which was a class of uh, priest that I did not know existed. That they could have subs. Um, like a, an under deacon, so definitely, definitely uh, uh, some diddling. Um, <clears throat> which sounds like mafia hierarchy. Basically, uh, his whole fucking deal being a subdeacon uh, involved uh, lighting candles and helping the priest on with his vestments after he first <laughs> helped him remove his vestments, and then so he's a fucking squire, and then helped him with his investments. Or a bitch. Wow. Whichever you prefer to call it. I don't know. That's strong words, man. It's the deacon's mm. it's the deacon's bitch. That's what it is. I, yeah. Clearly. I mean I'm I'm okay. I, I actually sign off on that. That's okay. Um <laughs> So according to his his future wife, Marie Catherine, uh, she first set eyes on the young Landry at Mass one Sunday in eighteen eighty seven. We got talking as we were leaving church. And so my love story began. That's that's like that's history book stuff right there. Like we struck up a conversation. Well, I feel uneasy whenever while we were leaving church, and then like you know it was uh, we you know uh, one way tickets to Bone Town and stuff. Uh huh. But why do I feel uneasy uh, immediately when you, Jason Rambo, say that last statement? Oh, uh, when, 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 at least during this show, Chris, this is a romantic <laughs> love story, like all right? That. Because I'm I'm a master of uh, foreboding, foreshadowing. Ah, or am I? <laughs> that's right. <coughs> say something so, and then immediately negate show. it, or does it? Sometimes it does not, but <laughs> so, this time it certainly did. So they, their love story did actually begin. Like, this is, uh, they were totally roll dogs for life, uh, no homo, and their first child, Marie, was born illegitimately, of all things, in 1891. Um, <clears throat> illegitimately oh, on whose side? On the man of the I mean, both. Side. I mean, both, because uh, if, they're, if they're not married... Um, it's illegitimate on on both oh, both sides. Oh, I thought things. you meant like in an infidelity type way. Oh no no no, that would be um a bastard child. Okay, 
right, right. Yeah, right. I watched this Game of Thrones. This was just complete irresponsibility. Exactly. So, she was born uh, just right after he began his uh, his obligatory three years in the French military, uh, which I guess is a thing that the French used to do, and is stuff that like. I don't know, like the Koreans still do it. Like the the South Koreans, uh, when you hit a certain age, you have to go into the army or whatever for like two years or some shit. Same for Even a if you'll never do anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, what? <laughs> it's I, I don't know, man. It's 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 you, sandy out there. You butt fuckers. Super sandy out there. Uh. <laughs> So he he was in the uh, the northern French town of uh, Saint Quentin, um, rising from private to the position of deputy quartermaster, which really sounds like it's an impressive kind of thing. But I'm pretty sure that means that he was like the requisitions guy, right? Unless he was like, okay. unless he was like really badass with like the like the quarterstaff, like Donatello was, and then like. Like you're the deputy quarterstaff master, and yeah, he was basically yeah. like probably munitions, like weapons and stuff like that. Like, like, yeah, like yeah, like munitions, like the armory. Oh, look, what it says here is uh, he uh, he was a glorified chef. Hmm. Oh, what do you? Oh, mean? okay. I was. <laughs> that, that's actually not what that says at all. Yeah. I just thought it would be fun to shoot that that theory down immediately. Um, oh. Okay. My theory was going to be just that he he moved from being one dude's bitch into another dude's bitch, and quartermaster really just means that he cleans up some other motherfucker's room. Well, uh, and yes, and then deputy <laughs> like his quarter, deputy quarter means that that he was the quartermaster's bitch, and the quartermaster was the master's bitch. Well, w- oh, he was the deputy quartermaster. Yes. Oh, and geez, and Louis. technically the, so the quartermaster the quartermaster is technically only one fourth of the master's bitches. So. Um, makes sense. Wow, because he a ladder. So in the autumn of eighteen ninety three, he would then return to Paris and marry Marie Catherine, who was already pregnant with their second child, who would be named Maurice. Uh, they would go on to have uh, two more children: uh, Suzanne, who was born in eighteen ninety six, and Charles, who was born in nineteen hundred. Uh, during the 1890s, while his wife, uh, she, she worked as a laundress, which uh, she just cleaned people's clothes and shit, uh, he drifted, basically, from, from one job to the next. Uh, couldn't hold it down, I guess. Um, he was employed for short periods of time as a plumber's accountant. <clears throat> That's right. A plumber's accountant. Not assistant. Huh. Or, or somebody that learns plumbing. How specific. He was a plumber's accountant. Uh, he was also a furniture salesman and an assistant to a toy maker. Huh. Yeah. I mean, He's that's got a that would be a fun that's job, literally right? every young boy's dream. Um, is to not have to take on all the responsibility of the business and stuff, but Ooh. to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll hand you that block of wood, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. James, yeah. you're basically still a child. How would you like to be a toy maker's assistant? Uh, like what type of toy? Depends, I guess. Um, I like, I'm I like say, my job now, dude. My job now is pretty chill. I mean, no, I it's, got no it's, it's 
It's the guy that makes Boppets. Dale does. It's well, the it's, guy that makes close. what? Star Wars? No, man. Boppets. Those stick things. Oh, where it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. Flick it, twist it, twist it. Turn it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that'd be cool. See, right? But I'd just make a bunch guy, of. Right? Dude, no, he'd fire me, dude. I'd just be yelling, like, Bop it! Like, all day. Just, like, walk up well, I mean, him out of nowhere you know, it's, and just be like, Bop it! It's probably all for the best because uh, he is also a an ardent anti semite. Oh, I I just made that up. I'm sorry, Bobbit guy. I know it's uh, not true. Are you Jewish, James? Jeez, man, that's fucking. <laughs> no, but that doesn't mean he can't. That doesn't mean that he's got to be cool with anti semitism. Jesus. Mm. <laughs> that's true. That's um. True. <laughs> so uh, later on, uh, Marie. Marie Catherine would describe Landrew as a quote unquote a model husband and a father in the early years of their marriage, even though she also despite being a Jew hater, even though she would also uh, claim that he was a bit of a skirt chaser from the very beginning, which is a phrase oh. that I really did not expect a uh, uh, you know eighteen the eighteen ninety nineteen hundreds uh, French lady to to. To have in her her fucking quiver is a skirt chaser, but I dig it. Did they have skirts then? Yeah, that that's what like, I'm thinking right now, man. Like that that seems a little before their time, but maybe, maybe French, like a like a French frock, a ahead like of, a frock chaser, or like a uh, yeah, like like what's a skirt for them? You know, hmm. like like I don't know. Like when I think skirt, I'm thinking like like halfway up the thigh. Yeah, like you you're seeing like it- the wizard sleeve poke out, but. But no, this is, is like that an actual quote. No, not this the is like like a dress part. skirt or something like that. Like <laughs> but a the dress skirt, skirt chaser. Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah on dresses part. it's still called a skirt. Real. So, uh, so it's a quote. You say. Yes, it is. Yeah, God. Okay, interesting. Huh. Well, I mean, I I wonder <laughs> what the actual definition of a skirt is. I think it's it's uh, it's a, a a lady's uh, like dress bottom that isn't yeah. uh, also attached to a top. So like you know if she's wearing a shirt and a skirt, it's a skirt. If but if the skirt has you know a shirt attached to it with stuff, then it's a dress. Wow, mm-hmm. interesting theory. That's interesting right. There, I have a girlfriend. Guys, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, that that that's how you know that. Uh, well, no, I like actually. Girlfriend? No, I learned it in school. Jesus Christ, guys, calm down. It's it's called math class, and my teacher was a whore. Um, so, oh, Landrew, uh, he he eventually would drift into a bit of crime, and and uh, and <laughs> and possibly uh, maybe even like have a bit of a psychosis. Um, but all of this started with his ambition to become a famous inventor that's right that's right we're talking about the inventor of bop it (laughs) how great how (laughs) great would that be um in 1989 that's not true in 1898 (laughs) 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 that's gonna happen a lot fellas uh in 1898 he designed a primitive motorbike which he called the landrew because he was just the inventor he wasn't the marketer um, and then he uh, he immediately deceived several would-be investors into giving him money to build a factory to make it. Uh, then he pocketed the money and disappeared. 
because hey. that that is certainly how you begin your start as a famous inventor. Yeah, I was about to say it's how all <laughs> famous inventors are made. They skip town with other oh, people's money. Oh man! Wow! Goddamn Edison, you fucking piece of son garbage. of a bitch! Garbage fire in a garbage can in a garbage fucking Thomas Edison. Uh-huh. Fuck you. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. All of that. I'm sorry. All that. In a bowl All that more. with some milk. I gotta take my nitroglycerin. <sighs> I mean, I have to buy some nitroglycerin so I can blow up Thomas and Thomas Edison's house. So, Clippers. Other projects that he, I mean, allegedly, do that. Um, other projects that Landrieu began in the uh, the late 1890s and early 1900s. Uh, included a plan for a new subway, uh, or, I'm sorry, a new suburban railway line west of Paris, and an automated children's toy. I don't know what the automated children's toy is. I think we can all just assume, rightfully so, that it was a boppet. Probably it Makes sense, man. It's full circle. It's, this is the conspiracy part of the show, man. Mm-hmm. Embrace it. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, it was either a boppet or, uh, remember the skip it, Chris? Like the it would go around your ankle. Yep. Yeah, I'm guessing oh, is it was that. that yeah, yeah. That, you had like you swirled it around, connected to one ankle, and you hop around on the <laughs> you other. Just yeah. like, you just like it rolled and mm-hmm. it had a counter mm-hmm. on yeah, it. That's, we found out how to yeah. cheat that thing real quick. That thing's that's dumb. right. World champs, <laughs> world champs. Uh, but meanwhile, while he's doing all this shit, he was just constantly running from the police. He saw very little of his family, and he ended up. Uh, land low for about a year in La Havre. I I don't know where any of these places are. I'm gonna assume France. Um, so in 1904, he was he was finally arrested in Paris after falling in the street as he was running away from a bank he had tried to defraud. <laughs> nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna read okay. I'm gonna read that sentence again. <laughs> for my own enjoyment. Landrieu was finally arrested in Paris after falling in the street as he was running away from a bank he had tried to defraud. So some guard just walked even up try to, to him rob and he was like, he just, tried, he just tried to defraud it. I love it. He, uh, he was remanded in well, custody. I mean, huh? I did that. And I was just gonna say, at least he he stays active. Yeah, I mean, you know what? He could have get some exercise. He, I mean, but but does he? Who falls in the street as you're running from the bank that you had tried to defraud while the police are chasing you? Well, he's not good at it. There you know, could have been he, a lot of cops sure chasing him. He couldn't like push over that one cop and keep running, man. I don't, I don't know. Right? Yeah. I I just think that maybe that was not the day to wear heels. Um... <laughs> Right. So he was remanded right. in custody. Or sag your pants. At uh, the uh, Sante prison, where he made what appears to have been a fake suicide attempt by slipping his head through a noose made from his bed sheets just as a guard was entering his cell. Um, he was then wow. he was then examined by Dr. Charles Valian, one of France's leading criminal psychiatrists, who concluded that uh, he was, and this is in quotes, on the frontiers of madness, which I fucking love that. Yeah. I love on the frontiers of madness, because that's really, that's where I try to, to live my life. It's a very 
uh, it's a razor's edge. Jesus, so but like, he was not. Hmm? But like at this point, so so at this point, he is in jail. He's faked a suicide attempt, and now it's a, a leading criminal psychologist saying he's on the verge of madness. Where was the tipping point for this? He just wanted he just wanted to be a famous inventor, decided to defraud people of their money, and then skip town is just all see, down I, from I, there. I, like what was? I what? honestly think I think that um, that once he saw the kind of money people were willing to invest in his kind of motorcycle that maybe wasn't as great as he had been telling people. <clears throat> like I think he genuinely wanted to be an inventor, but. Once he saw the kind of money that people were willing to just hand him to invent, he was like, well, shit, this, that was easy. Like, I should just do that, you know? So he just got tempted really easily by money. He just just slipped into that shit way too easily is what you're saying. uh, Yeah, basically. And uh, I, I don't know how much I believe the, the, the madness frontier living on quite yet. Um... Yeah, that's what because I'm saying. It seems he, drastic. This seems this seems very very drastic. Exactly. He goes on to say, uh, but he he was not yet insane, and he was responsible for his actions. Uh, uh, the doctor's diagnosis was confirmed by two other psychiatrists. Yet Valian was uh, sufficiently concerned by Landrew's behavior. Uh, so. <laughs> sufficiently concerned was he that he warned uh, Landry's wife, Marie Catherine, to be on guard in the future. So, Landry was eventually tried and sentenced uh, to two years in jail in the town of uh, Frenet, south of Paris. <clears throat> south of Paris. Uh, he was in and out of prison for the next decade. And during this time period, wow. Landry's wife and four children uh, lived in uh, you know, uh, just a series of cheap rented apartments in and around Paris. So they just live in, you know, the the life of, um, you know, uh, in France. Gee, thanks, Dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait so were they living like a, like a poor life in Paris? Or like, a, I, I blinked out for a second. Uh, they, I mean, they lived in a bunch of cheap apartments, in the years that, uh, you know, for the next decade while he was in and out of prison, basically. Uh, so okay. not a whole lot of money. They lived in a hood. But they, it's, they weren't... In the Paris hood. They weren't they on the homeless. street. Exactly. Um, so in 1909, Landrieu attempted to swindle an affluent widow in the northern city of Lille by posing as a wealthy single businessman and persuading her to hand over her savings in a pre-marital contract so it's like a uh, it's like a, a what's it um, you know that people that yeah but the opposite yeah but the opposite it's like a what's it but an opposite a post-nup it's a post-nup yeah post-nuptial it's a pre-post-nup <laughs> actually um, a pre-post yeah uh, wait <laughs> yeah whatever huh <clears throat> or, or a post-pre I don't know there's smarter people out there that I like that I like that a lot there's much more intelligent people out there that have been asking that question for for years and years and uh, are wasting their lives because that's a stupid question. Well, I'm no Will hunting, that's for sure. I am hunting Will, though, so be very, very quiet. Um, 
Shut up. Uh, he was then arrested while trying to cash in, in her investment certificates, and he was sentenced to three more years in prison at Lou, near Lille. I, I just... French, God bless you, which is what you say to a really ugly baby. Um, <laughs> while he was in jail, his widowed father committed suicide in April of 1912 by hanging himself from a tree in the Bois de Boulogne. <clears throat> That's right, the Bois de la... The, well, at least one of them got it or right. Or the Bois de Boulogne. Uh, then uh, Marie Catherine told Landrieu that her father-in-law, his father, had killed himself partly in despair at her husband's criminal career. Which, like, really, lady? Apparently. Like, dick move. Like, even if it's true... You don't tell somebody that. Hell of a guilt trip. <clears throat> yeah, hey, your hell of a guilt Your trip. bad <laughs> attitude killed your dad. Yeah, but apparently, being good at hanging yourself is not hereditary. Oh no! I well, you know, a cry for help and hanging yourself—two different things. Even if they look the same. Sure, sure, sure. Good call. That's fair point. Man, maybe. Maybe this man does have some madness in his family, man. This is a lot of extremes I'm hearing in this story, man. It's a lot of, like, irrational behavior. I I think that it's it's just... I I think it's just shooting... It's just being a con man, really. And then I think his dad was just profoundly yeah. depressed. He was His wife was dead. His son's in jail. Uh, he probably doesn't get to see his grandchildren that often. And, you know, he was old, didn't have anything else to do, so... You know, uh, uh, it's it's Sunday. Know, I'm pretty yeah, bored. I guess I'll kill myself. Around. You know, it's good. Yeah, che- Grandchildren smell funny. Netflix wasn't a thing yet, so tree I, and I, I understand. Is. I understand. Now that you say it like that, <laughs> um, <laughs> now that you say it like right. that, huge uh, bastard. <laughs> Born with a cell phone, a smartphone in your hand, you fuck. <laughs> uh, silver sorry. cell phone in the mouth. She also said that in the autumn of 1912, as soon that as beautiful hair, as soon as he was released from prison, sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. You can be angry. You can be an angry old man. I am the middle child on this show, which means I get everything. Um, as soon as he was released from prison, Landry stole around. Uh, 12,000 francs, which holy shit, that's a lot of guys named Frank. Yes, we've made that joke before. I will make it again. Uh, which is one. approximately... It's like in a whole Oscar Mayer factory. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's approximately uh, 40 grand in, in today's money. Like our money, not the French whatevers. <clears throat> Euros, I guess. Uh, which actually would be more. Um, you know what? It was forty grand. Shut up! You don't. You, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, Just continue <laughs> this damn story. <laughs> so he stole this money. Ah, uh, but we love Stole you. this money that his dad had left her and the four children, rather than him. Which dick move? You decide. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You both. Uh, you both decided, and uh, you made the right decision. Yes, that was a dick move. <clears throat> so. In the winter of uh, 1913 to 1914, uh, Landrieu executed uh, probably the most successful swindle of his entire uh, career of being a swindling swindler, which was he duped more than a dozen people into giving him a total of 35,600 francs to invest 
quote-unquote invest in building a fictitious automobile factory. Huh. <clears throat> that's a... That's, that's terrible. How does he gauge what's this best swindle? Like, he got that from one person? Well, no, no, history... How the fuck? History says... No, he stole 12,000 francs that his father left as an inheritance to his children. And this, he got a dozen people to give him 35,600 francs. So that is Each? quite a bit more. Um, well, I mean, in total, that's still 35,600 instead of 1,200. I mean, 12,000. True, that's true, but one person versus 12 people, yeah, that's a lot more work. But one was, you know, you one was a in dead man's inheritance. The man, the man labor. That one was a dead man's inheritance, or, and the other was, you know, people giving him money to start a business. Uh, but I do like to think that in this case, it was actually 35,600 guys named Frank to build and, and run the factory that they gave him. Um, That's a hell of a pyramid, man. Could you imagine like a like a cheerleader pyramid made out of thirty five thousand six hundred guys named Frank? <laughs> just it's raining, Frank. It's just oh, all pu- yeah. like push broom, fucking must- mustaches, and and like really sweaty undershirt wife beaters. And hey, it's for me, some reason, Frank. How's it going? <laughs> Yeah, blue dickies that he's wearing a belt with, but you can always see just the top of his way too hairy ass crack. <laughs> oh lord, and the mesh back chucker cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Oh, and and no shoes, dirty ass socks that are like just so worn out from days of wear that they're kind of hanging off his toes. That's gonna be. I hate this. Yeah, that's I gonna be their downfall. Goddamn, uh, Frank's. I hate this guy with a pen. It's like he's standing so in my he... room right now. <laughs> oh, um, Frank, what? I think there might be a killer in your house, James. Or is your dad named Frank? And did I just describe him perfectly? <laughs> yeah, somewhere. <like> that. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> okay, good. So he went on the run in April of 1914 with all these Franks, uh, plus most of his father's inheritance, uh, just. And, like, I mean, he got out of there just before the police came to arrest him. And then in late July of 1914, he was tried and convicted in absentia for the fraud. Which means they had court without a person that they were courting for court purposes. So they found him guilty without him being there, basically. Yes, exactly, which is what happens with me all the time in lots of situations, mostly personal ones at home. <laughs> I was, Shut yeah, up, I was Nelson. Uh, yeah, he's okay at that. Um, <laughs> so taking his previous convictions into account as well, the court sentenced Landry to four years hard labor followed by exile for life. On the French Pacific island of New Caledonia. They still... They they exiled this man in the early 1900s? How fucking crazy. That's dope. How fucking crazy. Um, Because when is this? Like 1908 right now? prison island and shit? No, it's, it's not that he got his own personal island. It's that he had to go to an island. Uh, probably full of other assholes named Frank. And had to just I'm sure. had to just live there out of houses made of Frank, and 
and eat meals made that by and from Frank. Is whack. And so wait, so yeah. what year is this in? Is this like nineteen oh eight, like nineteen thirteen, somewhere around there? Nineteen fifteen. Nineteen fifteen. Oh, so they were they were exiling people in nineteen fourteen, nineteen fifteen. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's yep. crazy, bro. What's the name of this island? What, mm-hmm. And what the hell is going on on this island now? I don't know. I it's wonder. probably uh, just the grossest nude beach with hair everywhere. It's <laughs> just in the <laughs> sand. Just, just sand mm. weaved with pubic hair. We're all descendants it of Frank. reminds me of that scene of Eurotrip. Mm. Huh. <laughs> That scene from Eurotrip where they went to the nude uh-huh. beach and, all, and mm-hmm. there's just nothing but dudes. Exactly. Girl? 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they all evolved Sorry. from the original Frank. Um, <clears throat> so, this is where, so this is where our, our fucking little, what, what were the, a gusher. Remember the gusher candies? I probably still have them. Not candies, gum, gummies? With the oh uh, yeah, with, like, now the sh- they make them as sour patches. Oh, see that that doesn't sound so bad. The other ones, yeah. ugh. but anyway, this is where the gush starts a gushing. Uh, that sounded yeah, that sounded way way grosser than I wanted it to really. So in 1950, I don't believe you. I mean, it was yeah, I probably could have done better. <laughs> the grossness in 1915. He escaped to a village near the town of Chantilly, which is uh, about 50 kilometers north of Paris. I know where Chantilly is. In the company of... You know, yeah, Chantilly. uh, Eh? That's a place... um, Chantilly, Louisiana? Yeah, not Gentilly. Chantilly. Oh, Chantilly. C-H-A-N-T-I-L-L-Y. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Oh, oh. Oh. I mean... (laughs) Uh, oh, are you oh, 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 are oh. you having an <laughs> orgasm? <laughs> He's masturbating over there. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> okay, if his if his O was just O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O O the right stuff. That's right. <clears throat> so best one I ever had was called by the Star Spangled Banner. Let me tell you. Awesome. Uh, so stand at attention, sir. He was in the company of one uh, Jean Crochet, a pretty thirty-nine-year-old Parisian seamstress who had been widowed in 1909. Now, uh, when they were traveling together, she knew him as Raymond Dyard. Uh, he. <laughs> He posed as an industrialist from northern France who had promised to marry her and persuaded her to give up her job making lingerie for a dress shop in Paris. Why wouldn't you fucking want her to keep that job? That sounds like a solid gig. If, if, she's, if she is a pretty 39-year-old Parisian seamstress, I'm guessing that, you know, she would at least have lingerie for her. So... Uh, she appeared to have hoped that Landrew, uh, who was, remember, under the <clears throat> alias <throat> Dyard, uh, would provide a respectable home for her and her only son, Andre, who was 17, and who was also illegitimate. <gasps> An unruly fuck. Get in the vapors. <clears throat> 
the balance of uh, Jean's relationship with Landu changed uh, pretty fucking flip-floppity in early August of 1914 when France declared war on the Germans. War were declared. What the fuck? That's right. France were declared the war that we... <clears throat> the decla- They were like, fuck you, Germany. <laughs> Something about French eclairs? <laughs> Oh man, those were not English words. <laughs> Whatever the fuck he started, you just he started said speaking some French. Was not in our native language. Pretty sure I smell toast. Okay. Pretty sure that's a toast smell. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Landrew uh, failed to then make a rendezvous with Jean, who had returned to Paris to be with Andre, her her son, of course. Uh, who this guy speaks? Who is still living in her old apartment? Uh, so. In despair, why can't you speak Russian now? Well, oh, fuck if I know, bud. Uh, in despair, you just said rendezvous. Hey, like it wasn't as bad. You know what? I think I think <laughs> on the 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 space episode, I did I did pretty well with the fucking Russian. Thank no, you no, you did much. you did good with those. You did good with those. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, go back and listen to the Chikatilo episodes if you must, and hear my my big fat tongue <laughs> stumble over every single second fucking word. <laughs> But I got better. Um, so, so uh, uh, Jean went, or Jean, sorry, went back to the house near Chantilly, accompanied by Andre and her brother-in-law, hoping to find the man she still knew as Dyard. But the house was empty. But she also found Landrieu's identity papers inside of a chest, along with various fake documents. Because. <laughs> Just Ooh. just because he's uh, suave and smooth and shit don't mean he's smart. Um, what an idiot. You should just put on a flash drive or something. That. Exactly. Because like, those are like super not... You'd never just leave a flash drive lying around. You know? Encrypt it. Yeah. yeah. I can... I have... I have... I can count one, two... I have three different flash drives nowhere near the computer I'm using right now that I can see... Are they I have no encrypted? idea what's on them. No. Why would I encrypt them? If you so have you the balls to look at my dick pics, have at it. Why um, do you keep your dick pics on? A, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll continue. It's called for posterity. <laughs> um, the next day, uh, Jean vi- Time visited Landry's abandoned apartment in southern Paris where she discovered that he was a criminal on the run who should have been deported to New Caledonia. Uh-oh. What? So Jean insisted to her sister and brother-in-law that her engagement with Landrieu was over. But when he reappeared late in August in 1914, she resumed their relationship. <laughs> she a ride or die kind when, of bitch. Let, let, me, let, me, let me one more time. But when he reappeared in the late August of 1914... She resumed their relationship. Okay, so what is that? What, what, she what, found exactly, out. What you, what she found. She found out. To extent, she found out before this resumation of said relationship, she had found <sighs> out that he had for sure been scamming her. <coughs> oh. Ah. Mm. Do you Jesus. see where I'm getting you fucking stoners? 
I just hit my card, so, too. Now it makes sense. <coughs> Meanwhile, she kept a close watch on her patriotic son, Andre, who was desperate to join the army and fight the Germans, even though he was way too young to volunteer. And love him some France. Which is weird. It says he, he was too young to, to volunteer, but he was fucking, he was 17. Like... I've heard of people yeah, going say. into World War One at like thirteen and shit. You just had to tell yeah. them you were fucking eighteen. My uncle went um, into Vietnam at like fourteen or fifteen. I was hoping you were going to say like seven or eight. What? Yeah, yeah. He lied about his age on the uh, on the military application. He was like fifteen mm-hmm. at the time. Said he was eighteen, the and he, he went and joined uh, the military oh, at fifteen during Vietnam. He goes in. He's like, "Sir, I would like That's to die in Vietnam, him. please, me." Yeah. Dude, Seriously. dude, he's a badass. I don't know what else to say, man. I mean, I'm sure he's a badass, but <coughs> we all agree that that was probably not a very smart decision for a fucking 14-year-old to make. Yeah, well, I mean, what 14-year-old is smart. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Uh, so, in late uh, November, uh, Jean suddenly pulled Andre out of his job at an automobile factory, and uh, then, at the start of December, uh, Landrew... <coughs> as Monsieur Crochet and Andre moved into a house in Vernalier, a small town by the uh, the Seine, the Seine, S E I N E. Chris, what is that? S E I N E. The Seine, uh, which is thirty-five kilometers northwest of Paris. I, if I knew where Paris was, all of these places, it would it would start to connect. Over Christmas, Jean wrote a, uh, a friend in Paris explaining that it wouldn't be convenient for her to visit her in Vernalier because of the, you know, the poor weather. And uh, you know, at the moment, the, it's all rather muddy here, is what she says exactly. So in mid-January, Andre learned... Uh, <clears throat> Andre learned that his scheduled recruitment into the army had been... It, it jumped up two years to the summer of 1915. So he wrote excitedly to a friend in the army on January 20th, reporting his good news, and another to an uncle a week later. Then, Jean and, and Andre disappeared without a trace, never to be seen again. Jesus. What? Wait, like. So before they even like were actually <clears throat> like in the military, like they just found out that they were going to get in and then disappeared. Uh, j- just just Andre uh, Jean was Andre's mother, who Landrew was uh, was uh, conning to marry him, uh, and she knew it was a con and got back together with him, and then they moved to another city with him, and then. Nothing. And then they're both just gone. I guess they succeeded so in, in running away. Okay. So in June, in June of 1915, um, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> okay, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna actually do this a different way. From June of 1915 to January of 1919. So that's that's a four year span, or almost. Um. Uh, damn it! Hold on. Da, da, ba, da, 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 ba. 
Da, 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 da. Okay, here it is. In 1915, Teresa Laborde Line. That's right, Laborde Line. Um, yeah. See, Chris got that. I knew James wouldn't. Thank you, Chris. James Thank you for being Conan. Here to, get, to get to get my my just stupid '80s references. Okay, so <laughs> Teresa was born in Argentina. In Argentina, she was divorced. She was unemployed, and she was also a widow. Uh, she was a divorced, unemployed yeah. widow. <laughs> How do? You, so, wow. I don't know which came. I don't know which came first. That's what's uh, called the triple the threat. Chicken, There's red flags for me. The chicken or the dead husband. Um, and she was also estranged from her only son, who was a postal clerk, and her daughter-in-law. Uh, she met Landrew either uh, by a Lonely Hearts advert that he placed on uh, May 1st, 1915, in Le Journal, which is French for was... the journal. Um <laughs> Uh, which <laughs> she was probably <laughs> hanging out, smoking cigarettes, scratching tickets. <laughs> picked up the Le Journal, which is like you know the publicated Craigslist. Mm-hmm. It's wheels and deals, basically. It's an ad for mm-hmm. you know some fucking orgy with this dude and a bunch of Franks. <laughs> oh man, you know what? She's like, that's around. You know, that's not? that's gonna be your autobiography. <laughs> Title is is Chris just a dude with a bunch of francs? <laughs> Me and these francs waiting on these francs and I <laughs> love it. Um, uh, which that was it, it. That was a daily mass circulation, really. Uh, or possibly she met him through a notice applying for a position as a ladies' companion, which she placed in another newspaper. Um, she. Mm not seen again. Next. So many fucking people died from these weird <laughs> goddamn uh, want ads of like rich lady, rich widowers, mm-hmm. fucking companions, man. So many old rich bitches died. I agree. Just uh, sorry, they're not no, bitches. They, they, were, they were I respected them. Very nice ladies, yes. That's crazy. And that's that's, that's a total They're obviously I, way too nice. Very often do the exact opposite of dead respecting. Um, <laughs> Damn that. Marie. I don't believe you at all. Marie Angelique Goulin, who was 52 years old, in August of 1915, in Vernalier, she was a widowed, retired housekeeper living near Paris uh, who had inherited a fuckload of money from her last employer. Uh, which is weird because usually your boss dying doesn't mean that you get rich. Um, right. <laughs> but Marie Angelique answered Land. She had that throat game. She answered also Sorry. his May 1st, 1915 Lonely Hearts advert in Le Journal. And uh, believed his story about being the next consul general to Australia who was in need of a wife to host diplomatic receptions. Oh. And... Okay. And as a twist of fate, 
they actually moved to Australia where he was consul general and they lived a happy, super awesome life forever. <laughs> well, this has been yeah. another episode uh, of See No, Hear No, Speak No. Um, <laughs> no, wait. I read that last line wrong. Uh, he killed her. She's dead. No one saw her again. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I he mean, never so, left he never left France. Mm-hmm. Dude, this guy is all yeah, over the place, man. He's just, just picking up every crime as it goes along, just oh here, I'll do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, scam a couple old people here, well, like, kill I, a bunch couple cougars here. Bucket bucket list. Like the weird the really weird thing about it to me is that he's he's so like just go with the flow. Dude, with he it, just doesn't you know? give a fuck. He just does not give a fuck. I mean... Sounds like it's his fucking bucket list. And, and really, I, I think that uh, he probably actually gave lots of lots of fucks uh, in the literal sense, in meaning that and he fucks. had sex with a bunch of widows uh, so that he could steal their money. Um, December and 1915. I would like to find... Oh. Uh, and uh, Wait, wait. I would like to find an archive mm-hmm. of these ads and preferably with responses to them. Well, the responses would have been a personal uh, correspondence, but I do have right. I do have actual uh I do, I have scans not like on me like in my back pocket or nothing, but like I know where they're at on the internet where you can see his actual uh his advertisements in Le Genelle. I mean that that's pretty cool and I, I can imagine how enticing they would be <laughs> especially you know if you're saying like I need basically what you're saying is I'm already rich I need a, a woman who wants to help me spend my money and go to fancy parties mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. What, like what Obviously, that's enticing. So, like, the response, I can imagine, would just be interesting to read. Like, how do you... I'm just... I'm trying to imagine how do you formulate a response to that that doesn't make you sound like a, a giddy, excited, desperate... But also desperate schoolgirl. Um, I, you know? I, I, I'm, I'm hoping it went exactly like this. Me love you long time. <laughs> fifteen Frank. <laughs> Come on. That's right. I'll do all I'll now. do all fifteen of those Franks too. <laughs> At <laughs> once. Right. Oh man. Gross and Extra for butt stuff. Some, oh? Somehow super sexy still. Cause I'm just picturing like hot dogs and mustard everywhere with these Franks guys. Um <clears throat> December. Hey, fuck me, my name's Frank. Hey, Oh, I know. That's a little too on the nose. <laughs> and that's not where you want a Frank. <laughs> that is where I want a Frank. Who invited oh. the little Japanese guy? <laughs> In December of 1915, Bertha uh, Heon, who is 55 years old, originally from La Havre, she, uh, she scraped a living together as a cleaning woman. And had lots of fucked up shit happen to her, uh, like losing her husband, her long-term lover, her two legitimate children, and her beloved illegitimate daughter in childbirth. So her lifetime was kind of marred with, with fuck you, Bertha. Um, 
Kinda. And being called Bertha from birth. Ooh. That's awful. It also might be birth. Uh, her her name might just be birth. It's B E R T H E. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so she met. That doesn't sound better to me. She met Landrew in the summer of nineteen fifteen. Uh, probably via a second Lonely Hearts advert that he placed in. Say it with me, fellas. Le Journal. Le Journal. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to practice this, guys. This is why you come to rehearsals <coughs> when I fucking have rehearsals, which I didn't tell you guys about. But <coughs> that's why you come to rehearsal. He posed as a businessman uh, and pretended that he was in search of a I wife. Come at rehearsal, <laughs> he was in search of a wife to join him in the quote-unquote pretty colony of Tunisia. Tunisia is a pretty place, right? I'm sure. I mean, I... Uh, December 1916. Anna Colum. 44 years old. Uh, Anna was a, a pretty smart and also pretty pretty, by that I mean attractive, widow who worked as a typist at an insurance company in Paris. And she had a long line of lovers since the death of her alcoholic bankrupt husband died uh he died like 10 years 10 years earlier so we're not gonna call her a slut because we don't shame on this show except each other because fuck you both you stupid sluts she was a she was a player she's not a player she just crush a lot hmm her motive for answering Landrew's May 1st, 1915 Lonely Hearts advert was probably because she wanted a stepfather for her illegitimate young daughter, who she reportedly placed in the care of nuns in Italy. Uh, the girl was uh, never wow. traced by the police. And da-da-da, Anna, never seen again. Hmm. April. Wow. 1917 Andre This guy was fucking busy Andre Beble Swear to god Dude's last name B-A-B-E-L-A-Y Beble Beble (laughs) Andre Beble uh, 19 years old Uh, It says here that he was chatty And vivacious (laughs) Oh Okay, so Andre Beble, uh, maybe it's Andre, because it's a chick. Uh, she was a nanny and possibly a casual prostitute whom Landrew picked up one evening while riding on, riding on the metro. Um, they spent the, she spent the next ten days living with Landrew, whom she called Lulu, because when you're going to be murdered and stolen from... You give people cutesy names like Chi Chi. Um, <laughs> uh, they lived together in a room that he rented near uh, Paris Gare du Nord, which, what the, whatever. Um, then, a further fortnight at his rented house near Gambe, where she was seen by a local game warden learning to ride a bicycle. Which is a weird thing for a local game warden to be like, oh, 
you mean that one girl I saw riding the bike that one time? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, have you seen her? He's like, yeah, I just said I saw her trying to, trying to learn how to ride a bike. All right, see you guys later. I'm going to go hang out with the Franks. Um, <laughs> September 1917. Friggin' Franks. Cel- Celestine uh, Buisson. Sure. 47. She was homely, trusting, and semi-illiterate, which is what I call the trifecta. Um, <laughs> she was yet another woman who had answered his May 1st, 1915 Lonely Hearts advert in Say It With Me. Le, Le journal. Le journal. No, it was better. We're still not there yet. Don't worry, guys. We'll have more opportunities. I'm trying. Um, born in the southwest of France, she was a widow who worked as a housekeeper and was, you know, a bit lonely after her only son was sent to war. Uh, he was also illegitimate. They took really good records of the legitimacy of children back then. You know, I was um, about to say, like, I'm really impressed by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Landrews, alias that he used at, at the time, which was uh, Georges Fremier, uh, became engaged to Celestine immediately, but then put off their marriage for more than two years. Uh, he Pleading, it says here, lost identity documents and long business trips abroad. So uh, she eventually met a none too happy end, but I just don't think he liked being seen in public with the, uh, let's see again, homely, trusting, and semi-literate Celestine. <laughs> November 1917. We have a few more of these, Chris, to go through, so just just give me a sec. <laughs> it's, it's, man. Uh, Louise Jamais. She was a devout Catholic working as a dress shop assistant who answered a Lonely Hearts advert Landrew placed in a conservative newspaper after deciding to divorce her estranged husband called Say It With Me. Nope. That's not her her husband's name. What the fuck is wrong with you guys? Who names their estranged husband Le Journal? You fucking tricked me. How could we say it with you? You fucking tricked me. It was a test, and you both failed. Fuck Flying colors. Nope, I'm done. Um, I love you guys. You guys are my best friends. I hate you. Um, Louis, Louis, uh, uh, initially refused to sleep with Landrieu. Uh, he was going by the name Lucien Gillet, uh, who... (laughs) A refugee from the German-occupied uh, Ardennes region, he broke her resistance and then took her to Gambay on a one-way train ticket after celebrating mass with her at the Basilica of Sacré-Cœur in Paris. Which I think uh, celebrating mass with her at the Basilica is just innuendo for, for having butt sex, right? Yeah. Mm, if it's classic priest. 1917 lingo. Well, he was a what a, a pre-deacon. What was it again? A subdeacon. Some, That's right. He got so technically <laughs> almost a priest. Mm. Almost only counts with horseshoes, hand grenades, <clears throat> and butt sex. 
Um, yeah, actually. Yeah, I see that. Uh, well, I mean, oops, it's, I accidentally, uh, I popped. supposed to look directly into I it. popped out and, and it accidentally went in there, I swear. Only counts in horse shoes, hand grenades, and buzz ox. Um <laughs> April 1918. Anne-Marie, who went by the name Annette, which is cute. Pascal, 37 years old. On account of her wide-brimmed hats, she was nicknamed Madame Sombrero <laughs> by her neighbors on the street. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Nice. Man. You know, I like it. I like it. You know, uh, France, I'm warming up to you and your illegitimate, homely, semi-illiterate children. <laughs> um, uh, she, uh, she made a living uh, making dresses for a Paris fashion house. Uh, she was divorced uh, but childless following the death of her only son, who died in infancy. And uh, so she was looking for a so-called... Uh, Vous, monsieur, which means sugar daddy. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Alrighty, then. That's exactly what I thought it meant. In September 1916, she spotted Landry's Lonely Hearts advert in the Paris Evening Daily. La Presse. See, I didn't say say it with me, because I, I was, you know, guys, you know, I think, I felt bad after last time. Like, I maybe, like, get beat I, up. like I tricked you. And I was betrayed. Like maybe that you guys felt a little betrayed by that. Yeah, track, I was uh, betrayed. Because I'm certain I'm gonna I'm gonna play that up real big in editing, and you guys are gonna look like fucking morons. <laughs> so I figured that time I would let it slide. Just throw in a soundbite that's like epic fail. January 1919. Marie. Mush. Wait. Marchadere, born in Bordeaux, uh, Marie Teresa, was a career prostitute and a familiar sight on the street outside of her apartment on the Rue Saint-Jacques, where she liked to walk her two beloved Belgian griffin dogs. That not only sounds like it's fucking badass looking, it also kind of sounds delicious. Um, yeah, I might have to look that up. Belgian Griffin dogs? Tastes like Belgian waffles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Want to fucking eat some? Mm. Um, the prosecution at his his later trial had claimed that he first met the heavily indebted Maria Teresa in October of 1918 after she advertised to sell her furniture. Um, and then circumstantial evidence kind of suggests that he may have uh run into her several years earlier uh and then um that's all we know really you know really guys really really yeah Yeah. okay so it's actually kind of an ugly dog with uh see i don't want to see it now i don't want you to ruin the fucking majesty for me i'm not showing you it's actually an ugly dog Continue. Okay. Now, since I've got no more death dates to yell at you guys, that can only mean that someone out there, somewhere, is looking for this son of a bitch. You know? Right, guys? 
So, uh, uh yeah. the reason he was able to avoid being captured um, during this time period was uh, really for three reasons. One was the uh, the war, which we all call WW1. Um, why doesn't anybody call it WW1 if we all say WW2? Do we all say WW2? I think we all do, yes. I think every single person ever calls it WW2. I know George W.W. Bush. Nope. Mm. There's only W. W. I know. The second. Yes, the second. Um, anyway, so... far too many syllables for me. I'm lazy. So that was going on, right? The, The dubs won, which, as we all, every single person on the planet knows, a lot of it was in France. And France sucked ass during that time and now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they didn't go so good. So what this did was it took uh, basically every police officer that was of military age. Uh, they were mobilized and sent to fight on the front, which means like in Vernalier where Landrieu rented his house from uh, December 1914 to August of 1915 there was one cop for the entire town and then in Gambe where he rented his second house from December uh, 1915 till his arrest there was one constable in his early 70s stationed in the village Jesus Christ and then one cop in wow. the town that was four miles away. So a total of three cops within yeah, like a twelve mile radius. Yeah. Yeah, and one is seventy seventy years old. One is seventy and the other one is on a horse. Uh, wow. <laughs> well secondly, the second reason, the number two means that, uh, well, not means. It's because his wife and his four kids knew where the fuck he was the whole time, but just didn't tell the cops. Um, his his youngest son Charles, who was born in 1900, uh, worked as his self-styled "quote unquote" apprentice. He would help uh, Landrew remove the furniture and other possessions from at least five of his known victims' apartments, and uh, he also acted as his father's chauffeur. His eldest son, which wow. means oldest, um, not an old man. It's not an elder son. It's the eldest son, born in 1894. Was he was mobilized in uh, 1915, uh, which means he went to war. But he was then arrested soon afterwards for various frauds and thefts, including the receipt and sale of valuables from Landrew that had belonged to his first known victim, Jeanne Crochet. Following his, oh, shit. following his release from prison, Maurice helped Landrew concoct a cover story to explain the disappearance of his sixth known victim, Anna Colomb, to one of Anna's friends. And meanwhile, Landrew's wife lived uh, most of the war in northwestern Paris um, under the false name uh, Frimier, which was one of his aliases, in an apartment where he was seen coming and going at regular intervals. Uh, so he was just there. Um, his wife forged the signature of his eighth known victim, uh, Celestine Bisson, so he could gain access 
to Celestine's bank account and impersonated his ninth victim, Luis Jaume, for the same purpose. So this is a family affair. Like, Jesus Christ. It is crazy. Wow. And then the last, the third, and really the shittiest reason that he hadn't, he hadn't been caught yet was uh, that he benefited from the indifference of police and village officials to the fate of women in general. This is at a time when hundreds of thousands of young men were losing their lives at the front. So they were kind of like, whatevs, ladies. Like, like, grow a pair already and stop dying if you feel like it or not. We don't care. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, really. <laughs> it's really fucking sad. It really, really is. Um, the, the weird thing about it is that he probably may have never even been arrested or caught or even followed for any reason without the persistence of a, a woman who forced the authorities to investigate uh, Landrieu after... Um, you know, uh, some suspicious stuff happened, right? Uh, so, her name was Marie Lacoste. She was the younger half-sister of Celestine. Uh, she was uh, an unmarried housemaid who disliked Landrieu quite a bit, who, at the time, his alias was Georges Fremier. Uh, she fucking hated him from the moment she first met him at Celestine's apartment in the summer of 1915. <laughs> Over the next two years, Marie began to suspect that Celestine's fiancé was a marriage swindler, out to get his hands on Celestine's savings. Uh, Marie's suspicions were confirmed during a visit with uh, Celestine to the Via Trick in August of 1917, when Celestine admitted that Fremier had cha had uh, taken charge of all of her investments. Celestine refused to take Marie's advice to end the engagement to Fremier, and the two were just, they stopped talking completely because of this. Um, then a day later, uh, Landrieu took Celestine back to Gambay, uh, traveling on a one-way train ticket, and she was subsequently never seen again. So, well, during the autumn... Cleaned up that mess. During the autumn of 1917, Landrieu became increasingly worried that Marie might suspect him of her sister Celestine's murder. He would go on to try and reassure her that, she, that her sister was still alive uh, by sending her two postcards from Gambe, uh, uh, purportedly signed by Celestine, but Marie instantly realized that the signatures were fake, and uh, you know, but she, she at the time, maybe just thought that Landry was just a con man and didn't take any further action on it. Uh, but Landry uh, was still worried that, oh no, she's, she's on to me now, so he would turn up alone on a couple occasions at Marie's work to invite her to dinner with Celestine at Celestine's apartment in Paris. So, Landrieu knew that the apartment was empty and almost certainly intended to kill Marie there. Each time, Marie refused, eventually 
telling Landrew to fuck off and don't come back. Huh. She's wow. a smart cookie. Nicely done. So for the next year n- now, still. Marie just completely would ha- like made herself forget about Celestine. Uh, thinking that her ha- if her half-sister was too fucking ashamed about falling for this con man to want to talk to her, well then, fuck you. I don't, don't want to talk to you either. You know? Then, in December of 1918, Marie received a letter which uh, got her, her blood a-pumping again. Uh, Celestine's son had been blinded during the war and from his home in southwest France, he tried to contact Celestine to borrow some money <clears throat> following what he called a quote-unquote serious accident. <clears throat> she... Uh, Celestine hadn't replied because she was dead. No one else knew that. Uh, prompting the son to ask Marie if she could talk to Celestine on his behalf. So Marie then visited Celestine's old apartment where the concierge told her that Celestine had last been seen there the summer of 1917. A, a fucking more than a year before. <clears throat> and that at least one other woman had, after that point, spent the night at the address with uh, from Ye, before he paid off the lease in Jeed. So Marie is fucking freaked and finally concludes that Landrew had probably killed Celestine and most likely was planning to kill her the times he invited her to the apartment. And that is where we end number part one of Henri fucking Desiree motherfucking Landrew also known later as the Bluebeard of Gombe <laughs> the Bluebeard of Gombe alright yes what what is um what does uh, Bluebeard mean uh what does Bluebeard mean it is a, a reference to uh you know it, it's like a like a reference Yeah, Chris. His pubes. Chris, take it over. You tell him. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Oh. Yeah, Chris was the pube reference, right? Uh, no, it's not a pube reference, Chris. Jesus Christ, it's uh, there. There was a mythical medieval nobleman uh, called Bluebeard, um, who murdered his wives. Why would I know that? I don't know. I was just trying to buy time while I looked for it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> nicely done. Uh, yeah, this man welcome. is crazy. This man is this man so is what wild. Do you guys, what do you guys but think? Was a pube reference. What do you guys fucking think of the beginning of the Bluebeard of Gombe? I like it so yeah, far. Was... If you weren't keeping, if you weren't keeping track of all of the the dates, uh, which then equal the amount of women that we know he killed. Uh, that's eleven. It's a it's eleven. Shit. Yeah, and he did that in four years. Jesus, including uh, his yeah, his wife. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. Wait, Celeste, not his wife. His no, wife. No, 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 his wife was signing. His wife is. His wife was forging signatures. Sweet. Exactly. His wife was. Uh, oh, uh, complicit. Yeah. In yeah in some of the crimes. Yeah. Wait, wait so then um, it was Celeste and, and again. We'll, 
and we'll, we'll see how that how that all goes. Uh, his last victim was Marie Celeste. Oh, um, oh, okay. Who, no, 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 Bob, no. Okay, Marie was Celeste's sister. Okay. Celestine, actually. Um, I mean, if we're going to be French about it, which is stupid. Get French. <laughs> I suppose actually called for this time. France? Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good start to a cool story that actually has, uh, quite a few unexpected twists and turns throughout the way. Who would have thought that the guy that created the Boppet could have done so much? Including all those so Franks. Little. So many Franks just, yeah. just all sunbathed and speedos and you're like, Jesus, Frank, go get a wax and put a shirt on. Nothing gets me rarer and harder than a than a good Frank. Are you talking about hot dogs? Woo. Hot dogs in a bun? What? Huh? Hmm? Huh? <laughs> oh yeah, all up in them buns. All up in them buns. Um, huh. you know what though? I think about uh, this guy is that. I don't. I still don't know why he like captured my attention the way he did. Because Chris, as you know, I'm not super keen on people that like purely serial kill out of greed. Um, because right, it's right. it's. I hate saying this, but it's not interesting to me. It, there's no, there's no crazy mind disease or or affliction or, or hang up or anything like that. He was just a greedy sumbitch. He loved money. He was the greedy sumbitch. He loved money and he knew he knew the easiest fucking path from A to B. Uh, a <clears throat> being a, a Lonely Hearts advert in Say It With Me Guys 1, 2, 3 Le, Le Chanel. Chris didn't even fucking no, say it that time. Totally Chris, Chris you're, you're slacking, man. I forgot it. I was trying to think All right, about stoner. it. Oh, man. I'm just Fuck, mm, fucking pothead. You've just listened to... Is that similar to Bella Kiss, though? He was only after money. Yeah, and but Bella Kiss uh, also put all of the, the bodies drained of blood in giant barrels, which is cool as shit for That's some... True. And pickled them. I, uh, for some reason, the pickling part Escapes me from yep. time to time. It's pretty sweet, though. It's nice of him to, I mean, to tickle. Yeah. Not tickle. The pickle. Tickle. Pickle. He pickled them. He pickled them like like tickle, like, like pickles. Like like the tickle. What? Tick. Like cook them in a scr- brine. Scr- mm-hmm. Scratch with his tickle. Mm-hmm. No. Mustachio. See, see, Jason's, Jason's saying yes. People. Pickler, tick mm-hmm. tickler. I guess maybe he, maybe, maybe he tickled him before he pickled him. That's probably true. Or maybe after. Who knows when tickling's the best for the yeah. tickler? You know. Yeah. That's gross. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Where's Where's the satisfaction come from? You know where from it comes tickles. from. Another satisfacting. Satisfacting is not a fucking word, <laughs> James. <laughs> Oh. But you know what it is fast acting. Um, fast acting and satisfactory. Satisfactory. Satisfactory fast acting. 
wonderful, ticklish <laughs> episode of See No, Hear No, Speak No. That's right. The UFOs, the conspiracies, and the Craigslist murders. James Cohen. La Journal Murders. <laughs> I, okay, first, Chris, I was I was really hoping you were gonna say and Le Journal murders. So I'm glad that you you came back in and said it because that just warmed my heart. And James, I think you found a niche, and I think you you fit nicely into this niche. James Cone. Good timing on that one. I like the question mark at the end of that one because <laughs> uh, I don't know either. Yeah, mm. but man, yep. what a fun time we had! Count down: three, all right, you sluts. Two, one. one. Good night, every and all. Good night.